So last week we began a series on prayer. And we addressed some of our common struggles with prayer. We admitted that prayer is perhaps the hardest, easiest thing in the world. It's as easy as thinking and directing your thoughts to God, which we can do anywhere at any time, and yet most of us struggle to pray. We love the Lord, we do, but we struggle to pray. We struggle with defeat, with distraction, with busyness, with fear, and ultimately unbelief. And still, Jesus assumes that prayer will be part of our normal practice. That's the, that's the sense we get as we, as we read these verses in, in Matthew 6. I, notice, we, we pointed this out last week. I'll just draw your attention to it briefly again. Notice, he says, he begins verses, um, verses 5, 6, and 7 in exactly the same way when he says, When you pray, not, not if. So Jesus is assuming that prayer is just part of our normal practice, and yet he seems very much aware of our struggles in prayer. So so here in this chapter, he begins teaching his disciples how to pray. But I want you to notice that he's not stressing the mechanics of prayer. Instead, he's revealing the heart behind it. He's revealing the heart behind it. And at the heart of it, it seems he's saying that prayer, prayer, prayer is simply the pathway to a more personal relationship with God. And so prayer itself is not the point. Relating with God is the point. Relating with God as your heavenly Father is the point. That seems to be what Jesus is stressing. We considered verses 5 through 8 last week. This morning, we come to what is called the Lord's Prayer, but that's a tad misleading because Jesus uh, wasn't actually praying these words. He isn't talking with God here, but with his disciples He's enlarging their view of God and God's expansive call upon their lives. If we wanted to, not that we have to, but if we wanted to call something the Lord's Prayer, we might turn to John 17. The high priestly prayer. That that might be what we would call the Lord's Prayer. But nonetheless, this has been called the Lord's Prayer. Jesus seems to be enlarging the disciples' view of God, God's expansive call upon their lives. The irony, however, with this prayer is that for many of us, for many of us, it's become small. Right? Jesus seems like he's just just like enlarging their view of God in this this. He's teaching them how to pray. 
God's expansive call upon their lives. And yet I wonder if for many of us, ironically, this prayer has become small. And what I mean by that is that many of us have heard it so many times that it's just lost its magnitude. It's immensity. Many of us know it from memory and we've recited it often. Maybe you grew up in a church that used this prayer in its liturgy each week, even as we once did. And and there's nothing at all wrong with repetition. Repetition can be a great learning tool. It can be a great way to emphasize important things. There is obvious danger, I think we'd agree, in mindless repetition. The fact is that this prayer wasn't intended to be rehearsed or recited in mechanical, uh, detached fashion. Jesus didn't say, notice this is important, I think. Jesus didn't say, pray this. Instead, he said, pray like this. In other words, he's providing a pattern of prayer, a model of prayer meant to instruct and direct our prayers. And I think even more, he's teaching us some foundational principles that reveal something much, much bigger than we may see at first glance. And I want to take this prayer in two parts. The primacy of praise, I'm going to call that part one, the primacy of praise, verses 9 and 10 followed by practical petitions, verses 11, 12, and 13. And this morning, I just want to consider the first part, the primacy of praise, leaving the second part, the practical petitions for next week. And the two words that I want you to think about, or at least that came to my mind as I considered verses 9 and 10, the primacy of praise, the two words I want to, want to offer are the words adoration, verse 9, adoration, and advancement, verse 10. Adoration, verse 9, advancement, verse 10. My guiding thought is this. Prayer is the adoration of God to the advancement of His kingdom in our lives and around the world. Prayer is the adoration of God to the advancement of His kingdom in our lives and around the world. Jesus begins in a distinctly God-centered way, teaching us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, we talked last week about how Jesus in this section is stressing the relationship we share with our Heavenly Father. And that God is Father means I am His child. Not in a general sense, similar to how Abraham is the father of faith. Not in that way. No, to call upon God as Father in this way means I am His beloved child in the personal, intimate sense of the word. Prayer is soaked in relationship with the God who is drawn near to us in love and has likewise drawn us to Himself by grace. 
And that God is Father means He is with us. He is not an absentee Father. He is not distant. He's not distracted. He's not detached or removed from the details of our lives. In fact, one very important aspect of prayer is remembering that I live all my life in the joy and presence of my Heavenly Father who is with me right here, right now, at all times. That God is our Father means we are, so, we are part of something much bigger than our individual selves, the church. We are a community of saints. We are a fellowship of believers. We are a spiritual family that spans time and place. You see, God is not just my Father. He's not just your Father. God is our Father. Very important. That God is our Father in heaven means He is superior to all earthly fathers, even the very best of them. He is transcendent. He is otherworldly. He is sovereign. Nothing catches Him by surprise. Nothing in our world is outside His purview. Nothing is beyond His reach or ability. No father is greater than our heavenly father. And because our father is in heaven, catch this, because our father is in heaven, heaven is now our home too. This changes everything. It's why for the Christian, for the Christian, death in this life, in the earthly sense, is simply a home-going. And we need to know and we need to remember this as we walk through life's peaks and valleys. I was thinking this week and the thought that just kind of shot across my mind as I was just contemplating this is it's, 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 come, it's kind of like it's kind of like Pilgrim's Progress right we're just kind of like we're like Pilgrim we're, we're making our way through the stuff of earth but the stuff of earth is, is not our home we're making our way to heaven We need to remember this. If we're graced to live a long life, I think we need to know this more and more as we age, and I think we need to know this more and more as we near the end of life in this world. Do not lose heart. I remember Lee Toms telling me in in as he was nearing the end of his life, telling me that, reminding me what we're told in, in 2 Corinthians, do not lose heart, the outer self is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. That the afflictions we experience along the way, Paul says, are light and momentary and actually serve to to prepare us 
to prepare for us an eternal, incomparable weight of glory. Uh, You cannot read this prayer. You cannot pray this prayer without realizing that God has designed human beings for something more. For something transcendent. God has created you for more. Much, much, much more than this temporal world. Much, much, much more than this life can offer or even contain. God, we're told, has placed eternity in our hearts. And as Augustine famously said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. Think about this with me. I probably couldn't, I probably couldn't get an audience. I I probably could not even get an audience with our local mayor. Do we have a mayor? Yeah, in Roseville, okay. See, I probably couldn't even get an audience with our local mayor, but listen. I can call upon the king of the universe and call him my heavenly father. This is such grace. Jesus begins here, he begins... The first four words out of his mouth, pray then like this. He begins with that which is most important to every single one of us in this room. It's our relationship with our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, he continues, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy or set apart. So set apart is God, so utterly unique from all others that in the days of old, people wouldn't even say his name. And when writing God's name, they would intentionally leave out certain letters as a way of hallowing God's name. To hallow God's name is to revere God, to honor God, to acknowledge God's greatness. To hallow God's name is to glorify God, ultimately to worship God. And so my... (laughs) My daughter comes home from school on Friday and, and she's just feeling the weight of the world. And I say, what's wrong, baby? What's, what's wrong, honey? And she just tells me that she's just tired of hearing people dishonor God's name. And it brings her to tears. So we talk. And we remember the glory of the Lord. And we remember the grace of the Lord. And we, and we remember the prayer of the Lord upon the cross. And we say, Father, forgive them. They do not even know what they're doing.
follow God's name is to revere his, his name. It's to honor God, acknowledge his greatness, glorify and worship him. The struggle within each of our hearts, however, is that we can turn even moments of worship into something it was never intended to be. You see, as sinners, we have the unique <laughs> ability, proclivity to turn the worship of God into self-worship. What was meant to be for God and for God alone has become about us. Listen, even spiritual things like prayer and ministry, isn't that the point Jesus made in verses 5 through 8? So he points to the Pharisees and he points to the Gentiles and he faults them for trying to impress. They're trying to impress others. They're trying to impress God. And prayer had become about prayer. Prayer had become about them. Not God. It had become a performance where they had taken center stage and Jesus said, don't be like that. We're to hallow God's name, not our own. God, may your name be holy. May your name be exalted. May your name be known and honored by all. May your name be recognized as the name above all names. And listen, you cannot pray this prayer with integrity until you're ready to accept the call it places upon your life. Father, may I do my job well because of your name. Father, may I, may I be a witness, a light at school, a light in a dark place, because of your name. May I love my neighbor as myself because of your name. May I, may I treat my, my wife or my husband well because of your name. May I parent my children rightly because of your name. May I spend my time on things that exalt your name. May I spend my money in ways that honor your name. May I be driven and motivated in life by your name. As the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, in whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I, I tricked you there. There are actually a couple of verses that are very similar, and some of you were quoting the other one. I apologize for that. So I ask you, whose name, whose name, whose name drives your decisions each day? Whose name? Wh whose name drives your life? We're created by God, for God, but sin has made us hungry. It's made us hungry for our own glory instead of God's. Sin has perverted even our worship so that we no longer give God His due. Instead, sin robs God of the glory due His name. really appreciate the way that Tim Keller illustrates this. He likens it to plagiarism. 
he says, why is plagiarism taken so ser seriously? Well, it's because it's claiming that you came up with an idea when you didn't. It is not acknowledging your dependence. That you got the idea from someone else. Plagiarism is the refusal to give thanks and credit and is therefore a form of, threat, of theft. And then he says, do you see then why God takes this so seriously? You see, cosmic ingratitude is living in the illusion that you are spiritually self-sufficient. It is taking credit for something that, that is a gift. It is the belief that you know how best to live, that you have the power and ability to keep your life on the right path, that you can protect yourself from danger. And he says that is a delusion and a dangerous one. We did not create ourselves, and we cannot keep our lives going one second without God's upholding power. And I just want to say this to you, dear East Parkway, we are not immune. Within each of our hearts are traces, traces of self-worship. We're not yet free of this. I wish we were, but we're not. We're not. I wish I was. But I'm not. I wish I could stand before you and say, I never, I never serve for my name's sake. But I can't. I wish I could say, I never I never take center stage. But I can't say that. Because I know there are traces of this even within my heart. I think that's why Jesus begins here. He begins with the worship of God, with the hallowing of God's name. He knows how prone we are to disintegrate into self-worship and make it about us. He knows that how we view and approach God makes everything. Essentially, essentially, he's calling us to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Moses said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. David said, Andre quoted this earlier as a call to worship. David said, ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The psalmist said, Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Come into His court. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. And so from one person to another, we're reminded that worship, worship, worship is distinctly God-centered. It's, it's one reason, it's one reason 
why we want our opening song or hymn to have a clear God focus. That's not by accident. That's intentional. And let me just say, (laughs) that's just one reason why it's important to be here on time each Sunday morning. Because to miss that opening song is to miss something that guides and frames and sets the direction for the entire worship service. And it reminds us that worship is not about us. Right? It's not about, God, I worship you on my schedule. It's, God, I'm here and I'm hungry. God is not only our Heavenly Father, but also our Holy Father. Heavenly Father and our Holy Father, and so let's hallow His great name. Adoration of God. It's verse 9. Adoration of God, I, I think, excites the advancement of His kingdom. And so Jesus continues in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the more we desire the king, the more we we desire the king, the more we sincerely desire the king, the greater our desire for his kingdom. Not just in the eschatological end time sense, but right here, right now. These two phrases, your kingdom come, your will be done, are not separate desires, but they're one and the same. You see, to desire God's kingdom is to desire His will. And to seek God's will is to surrender to His reign, meaning that once again, you cannot pray this prayer with integrity unless you're willing to apply it to your own life. In prayer, we freely surrender to the King of kings and to the reign of his kingdom. To who God is and to what God wants done, prayer is not just a monologue. It's not just us doing all the talking. It's dialogue in which we share our hearts and we discern God's in prayer. We allow God to have the last word with us so as to shape and reorient our lives according to his will. It's to say, I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord. It's to say, I'll be whoever you want me to be. It's to look upon the world or your world and say, Father, reign in me and manifest your rule in my life. It's to say, help me, Father, to look at the things in my life and in my world through your eyes. Help me, Father, to not obsess over the kingdoms of earth, to neglect of the kingdom of heaven. You see, later in this chapter, Jesus confronts our tendency to obsess, to grow anxious about the stuff of life, our health, our provisions, our needs. 
All too easily, these things, these things of earth, can become our focus. They bring all sorts of worry and stress and fear, and they even can send us into this subtle pursuit of self-glory. And yet Jesus says there in verse 33 of this chapter, listen, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I want to just get something out on the table. <laughs> Can we just be honest for a minute and admit that we all struggle between these two kingdoms? We all have this ongoing tug of war between my will, my kingdom, and God's will, God's kingdom. We all, in some degree, we want to be kings of our respective castles or queens in some cases. We want control. We want autonomy. We want things to go in ways that make it better for me. I don't know how to quantify this. I don't. But I cannot help but wonder if too much of my praying is focused on my kingdom. My pursuits. My plans. My pleasures. my comfort in this world. Ultimately, my will. I cannot help but wonder if that's the same for you. I wonder how much time is spent on our agenda instead of God's. How much time we spend trying to convince God of the stuff that matters to us rather than us growing convinced of the stuff that matters to Him. I think the question that so often surfaces in and through our prayers is simply, whose kingdom are you building? Whose kingdom do you seek? And it's not that we can't pray for ourselves. Yes, we can. Absolutely we can. Even as verses 11 through 13 attest. But just notice with me that even those requests, we'll consider them next week, even those requests are distinctly God-centered. Even those are about God's will for our lives. It's like Jesus in Gethsemane or the Apostle Paul with his thorn in the flesh. We need to to not only accept but embrace the fact that the advancement of God's kingdom requires surrender to God's will. I think it was John Knox, I think. I think it was John Knox, the Scottish reformer, who, who was praying one day. He was praying for revival. And as the story goes, if I'm getting this correctly... Forgive me if I'm not. 
He's praying for revival and he drew a circle on the ground as a way of picturing the scope of God's reign. Essentially, he was praying for the advancement of God's kingdom in his life, in his region, in his country, and across the world. And then, as the story goes, he stepped inside the circle and said, and let revival begin with me. And I wonder, are you willing to say, God, open my hands. God, open my heart. God, I offer my life. Do with my life what you will. Are you able to say, I rest in you, Father, and in your will for me. Will you step inside the circle and say, God, let revival begin with me? You see, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he announced the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning that, that God's heavenly reign had come to earth in the person and work of Christ. And heaven, hear this, heaven has been affecting earth ever since as the followers of Christ follow Christ. This gives us hope. We need not be cynical toward the world or enslaved to a spirit of timidity. We, to seek God's kingdom is to hope again. It's to trust in His goodness, in His ability to save the lost, to mend the broken, to redeem those who are bound in sin. This gives us purpose. Purpose. Uh, wanting God's will on earth as it is in heaven sharpens our focus. It's to love him and to love what he's about. Kingdom people want what the king wants. That's what I want for us as a church. That's the purpose behind our purpose, fulfilling the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. It's about what does God want? What does he clearly command in his word? What's his purpose for us and his priorities? In fact, just notice the the upward, outward, and inward aspects of this prayer, just these first two verses, upward, the worship of God and the hallowing of God's name, outward, the advancement of God's kingdom on earth, inward, the reign of God's will in my life. God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven when we one by one, stop trying to build our own kingdom and desire His instead. And it is with this hope and purpose that we can pray the rest of this prayer and mean it. It's only when God and God's kingdom is foremost in our affections, it's only then, people, when we will truly be content with daily bread. Only then. Not weekly or monthly or retirement bread, but daily bread. It's only then. It's only then when we will be humble enough to confess our sins freely and seek God's forgiveness and extend God's forgiveness to others. It's only then. And it's only then when we will actually desire the God's leading of our lives. 
and want to follow Him by faith. It's only then, it's only when we pray the first part of this prayer will we be able to pray the second with integrity. Just one final thought before I close. It just occurs to me, I don't know, I don't know. But it just occurs to me that there may be someone here this morning who does not know God as as Father. And the thought of adoring God and advancing His kingdom is just brand new for you. And I just want to say to you, if that's you, pray. Prayer is how we respond to God. And every person in this room who has, all, who has already come to Christ, who has already responded to, to the Lord, they've done so at first with prayer. They voiced the desires of their heart to know the Lord, to follow the Lord, to turn from their way, and to go the way of the Lord. And so if that's you, just pray. Let prayer be for you an expression of your faith in God. Let it be for you an expression of your love for God. Let it be for you an expression of your surrender to God. Just pray to receive Christ as Lord. Call upon Him and become a child of God. And then it also occurs to me that there may be someone here this morning who is a child of God in the sense that they, at one point in their lives, they came to Christ, but have since gone prodigal. They've just stopped following the Lord and they're going their own way instead. And if that's you, if you've strayed from your heavenly Father, I just want you to know that Jesus knows And he wants you back. And he's ready and willing to greet you. I want you to know that he, not only does he teach us how to pray, but he also prays with you. He also prays for you. For him to say, our Father in heaven, means he prays alongside you. Think about this with me. Jesus calls Father the same God we call on as Father, meaning He, Jesus, unites us to Himself and saves to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. This is grace beyond belief. Whoever we are, 
whatever our background, whatever our circumstance, we can go to Christ who delivers us from sin and treacherous, deceitful, insidious self-worship. And he delivers us into, he brings us, he ushers us, he holds us, he brings us into eternal, abundant, joyful fellowship with his heavenly Father. So go to Christ. Go to Christ. And there are people here who'd love to pray with you, love to pray for you, if that would be a blessing to you. We'll have people here at the end of the service. We'll have people on each corner of the sanctuary. I'll be up here at the front. We would, we're just available to you if we can pray with you, if we can pray for you, and for the encouragement of your faith in God. Go to Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the time we've had this morning in your word. We confess, I confess, Confess how easy it is for me to 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 worship other things, even to fall into self-worship. and fail to worship God. Forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for the redemption that is mine, that is ours in Christ. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for teaching us through your word, for bringing us back to the heart of worship, to this relationship we share with God as, as, a, as he is our father, we're his beloved children. Thank you for this. Thank you for all the implications of this. Help us to be people who hallow the name of the Lord in ways great and small, in ways seen and unseen. And in so doing, help us to be people who, who uh, are about the kingdom of the Lord, not our own, not the kingdoms of earth, but the kingdom of heaven. Yes, Lord, make us to be people of your will. who love, who love, who love to do your work. And this we ask in and through Christ our Lord. Amen.